Hey everyone, just a quick note, the registration is now open for the American Craft Spirits Association's 10th Anniversary Distillers Convention and Vendor Trade Show. We're excited to see you all this February 10th through 12th in Portland, Oregon, where we'll celebrate 10 years of ACSA. Register now at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Thanks. Keep your eyes on the prize and keep reaching towards bigger goals. And if you achieve your goals, maybe they weren't big enough or you need to set larger ones. But if you believe in yourself and you refuse to give up, there isn't a damn thing that you can't accomplish. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, Indomitable Spirits. Our guest today is David Weglars, the owner and head distiller at Still 630 in St. Louis, which celebrated its 10th anniversary earlier this year. Prior to starting the distillery, David was working in finance in Chicago. He started home brewing, which got him thinking about moonshine from his days as a raft instructor in North Carolina. Those thoughts helped pave the way to Still 630. And to start things off, I asked David to reflect a little more on those early days. I was really unsatisfied with the way my life was going and what I was doing. And I wanted something more. I mean, I, I say it a lot and I think it feels very cliche to say it because you hear it from people, but I really believe you live once and it's up to you to be the author of your own story. And I, I, I choose to believe that you need to be the hero of your own story too. And that means, you know, when things go bad or poorly, it's the, what does the hero do? The hero picks himself up, dusts himself off and tries again and again and never fails until they, you know, have succeeded. Um, it's never too late to start something new. Like all this kind of platitudes um, exist for a reason. And to me, they always resonated a lot. And that kind of gave me the kick in the pants to, to start a new chapter. Um, yeah. Did, did you consider other, other avenues? Like, were you almost, uh, you know, a pastry chef or something like that? <laughs> uh, a pastry connoisseur, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> never, uh, never a chef. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, all I knew was that I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to make something. And cooking and I worked in a bunch of different industries from dive bars and you know corner pubs to um, some fine dining. One of the places I worked at in Chicago, she ended up winning a James Beard Award or two there. And I mean, I was the host, so I had nothing to do with it, but it was uh, food. While, I, while I, I love eating and enjoy restaurants and trying new places, that never felt like a real calling to me. Um, I just like to enjoy it. But, uh, but, you know, working with my hands and literally building something. I know that's what chefs do, but, you know, woodworking, um, construction, manufacturing really kind of spoke to my sympathies and interests, I think, a little bit more so. And then ultimately, one day, I hope to be an author myself and write, write different things. But, you know, that's always been kind of an overarching side quest to this life. So I, I looked into, I fell in love with the sexiness of making alcohol and 
thought, you know, everyone else was getting into craft beer. So that seemed like a great time. But it also seemed like everybody else was doing that. And while I loved beer, it didn't capture me the way that spirits ultimately would. Um, I love that delay, that delayed gratification, that time capsule nature of the barrel, where every time I open something, I was pulling a couple of samples this morning, and literally one of them was going on five years, and the other one was only one year. But I got to think about why I put those barrels down, and they were both very meaningful barrels. So it was a very fortuitous day for this conversation. But it it brings me back to who I was, who the world was. The one barrel, you know, was well before the pandemic even happened. And what my idea, my life, my family, and the trajectories we were all on at that point. Um, and I guess the romantic storyteller in me loves that aspect of it too. So for all the reasons, not only the deliciousness, but the care, the craft, and the storytelling really drew me into spirits, I would say. Um, so there wasn't any very closely also rands. There might've been in the beginning, but after a quick time, there was only one option. And that was full force, full steam ahead to be a 21st century liquor baron. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess going back then, so you, you've decided on distilling, you're, you're excited about that. How do you, how do you land on your name and, and talk a little bit about the significance of, of the name and how it's put together? Yeah. So as you said, I, we landed on the idea of making a distillery and that was kind of it. Now, all right, we've got just details from here on out. I got to figure out how to do it. Um, we got to figure out where we're going to do it. What are we going to make? How are we going to make what we make good, different, unique, our own? Um, and we, you know, we need a name. Then we'll need names for spirits. Oh, irrelevant. That's all stuff we'll just figure out as the time comes, was kind of my thinking. And my wife and I were living in Chicago at the time. You know, I was in the finance industry. And she was wholeheartedly on board with me changing careers because she could see firsthand how miserable I was and probably to her detriment, you know, detracted from her quality of life with my grumpiness. But we knew we wanted to start a family and a business and we wanted some luxuries that Chicago wasn't giving us. You know, things, real fancy things like a yard and a garage <laughs> and uh, not having to take, you know, three flights upstairs every day to get groceries or walk the dog. Um, <clears throat> so we knew we were gonna move out of Chicago and we started looking around to Indianapolis, Denver, St. Louis, cause we had connections there, we had friends there. And they seem like places we could envision ourselves. Quickly on, St. Louis really stepped up to the forefront because um, Indiana at the time, you had to have a working farm license to run a distillery and they were just backwards. And anyway, um, didn't like it at the time. It, obviously the environments changed there quite dramatically, but at the 2009-10, it was not a great place. Um, but in Missouri, had some of the best liquor laws around. And we liked the idea of staying in the Midwest. It's both where we're from and it's where our family and friends are mostly. Um, but lower state liquor taxes, you had the ability to have a distillery, to have a tasting room, to sell bottles, self-distribute, all these things you have to pay for licenses, but they're possible. And so that was like, all right, here's a fertile environment where we can try it. And it's one of America's great historic cities. Let's do it. So as I, as I kind of alluded to with the idea of making my life a story and um, the hero, and I overthink things. I have a tendency to, I've been told. <clears throat> and 
if you've been on a tour at still 630, you realize it's not a tendency. It's a, it's a, you know, unscratchable itch that I can't get out. So start overthinking things. And I love meaning behind stuff. I love the more you know about it, the more you realize, wow, that's cooler than I even thought. So I tried to do that with still 630 and come up through a whole bunch of iterations. But to explain the name, we named it still after the piece of equipment we distill on, obviously. That gave us the opportunity to capitalize the last L and emphasize STL. So sometimes in our name and our marketing, those are red or blue for our local sports teams to hammer home St. Louis. It also carves out the I and the L lowercase in there that also reflects Illinois, which is our the other half of our region right across the river in our local area. So it allowed us to give an homage to our home city and our region right there. 630 has a few meanings as well. It stands for June 30th, which is the day we were founded. And we have a big anniversary party every year on 630 day. It's not a national holiday yet. It's just a kick-ass party <laughs> right now. But one day, one day. That's the goal. That's the yeah. goal. Um, and we release new spirits, awesome local chefs. It's really our way to celebrate all the different collaborations we do across different industries. And it's growing. We have you know, 500 people here a year, which is huge for us. And uh, it's a lot of fun. This was actually our 10th anniversary party this past year in June of 2022, which was really cool. But 630 is not only the day we were founded, it also happens to be the serial number of our big first big pot still. It was handmade here in Missouri to my specifications. I'd done a lot of research and reading and talked to people and stuff. And so I came up with my own little kind of tweaks and designs on a conventional pot still. For better or worse, some of them probably help, some of them probably hinder. I don't know, but it's ours, you know, and it's our part of our story. Um, but it was handmade here in Missouri and it literally turned out to be the serial number of that pot still was 630. It is literally still 630 that we have here. We have since gotten another larger still. The first still, still 630, was 150 gallons. Our new still, still 632, is 500 gallons. Um, and we use them both. But the final piece for the 630 ties it all together. That stands for 630 feet, which is the width and the height of our inspiration, the Gateway Arch. Uh, I feel that the arch is that greatest symbol, uh, basically of mankind almost. It symbolizes everything you need to do to create something amazing, enduring, and incredible. You have to be indomitable. You have to refuse to give up. You have to never say die and continue on no matter what. That's what the pioneers did. That's what every entrepreneur does. That's what anybody, you know, raising kids do. That's, that's what it means to lead an incredible life is to be that indomitable spirit. And that's our tagline as well, indomitable spirits. It's that never give up attitude. Spirits, obviously, is a play on the liquid as well as the metaphorical soul uh, that everyone has. So that is all the thought and, and then some that went into still 630 right there. That, that's, a, that's amazing. Uh, for, first of all, you answered a couple of my next questions, which is great about <laughs> indomitable spirits. Uh, but, but also, I think, um, you know, you, I think everybody here has probably at some point seen one of those little things that pops up in their social media feed about like hidden signs in logos and like the little arrow that's in FedEx yeah. and the, the, the yeah. line from A to Z and Amazon. But yep. you, your, your, your name has like uh, 
so many of those cool little things that it, it like could have its own uh, entire article about it, which is really it cool. should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's, I just find personally, I find that stuff to be fascinating and cool. And what it tells me is that there was some person or small group of people that are behind it. I don't recall seeing, and you use FedEx and Amazon, who are two of the biggest companies on the planet. So maybe I'm totally wrong, but I don't think of them as being designed by a corporate board. You know, when you have the little Easter eggs you're talking about, for those in the know, little behind the scenes nuggets of knowledge that everybody thinks are really cool, that usually, I believe, are done by a couple, the wacky founder or a couple crazy guys that have, or, or girls that have an idea. It's really personal to put that kind of stuff in. Yeah. I think, but I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so we should, the other thing I wanted to mention, you know, you're talking about the arch, you're, you're all of about a mile away uh, and in a former fast food restaurant. So I'm, I'm well, curious. I never, uh, I never like to say the, like, are you the first to do this? Because somebody else will say we were, but are, are you aware of other distilleries in former fast food restaurants? And, and what was it like to, to bring that, to turn that into a distillery? Well, I'll be honest, John, it was a lifelong dream to turn a fast food restaurant into it. No, I'm obviously kidding. Um, it's we our, our running joke that, you know, anybody that works here has just heard more than enough is that we're in an old gourmet French restaurant. Yeah, um, I don't speak French, but I believe it was pronounced hard days. Hard days. Uh, you know, there you go. And yeah. the fries were French. So the rest of the menu probably was too, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I am literally sitting as we speak in an old uh, three top from the restaurant right now. Uh, we kept a couple tables in the corners for the historical value and the ambiance of the old hard <laughs> Yeah. But uh, it, was, it was the right place at the right time and the right location. You know, um, I, I've been looking for six months at that time on where to put this place. Um, it was still just an idea in my head. It's a distillery, it's called Still 630 and it needs a home. And I wanted to be downtown St. Louis because I want to tie still 630 to the essence, to the soul of St. Louis. I want people that come to visit from all over the world to think of St. Louis and think of the arch, the Cardinals, and still 630 and not in that order, you know? <laughs> but we're working on it. We're working on it. But uh, my wife was driving by one day randomly and she saw this building for rent and it was an old Hardy's building and it had been vacant. Then it was a florist for several years. And they literally just came in and put flowers and stuff all over the tables and chairs and everything. And so we looked at it. It was the right price and it was in the right location, just a couple blocks from Bush Stadium. And as you said, a few blocks from the arch right downtown, almost on the river. Um, it's, it just it hit everything. And uh, we looked at it and it was available. And so I said, I'll pay what you're asking. Um, but you got to give me a good deal in here. And they're like, that's fine. We'll give you a good deal, but all the upkeep is on you. So I've been, you know, I put a new roof on this place. We slapped so much lipstick on this pig <laughs> and uh, it's, it's been working and it's been a great home for us, but we, you know, outgrew it years ago. So we've got most of our storage off site, but all production, all aspects really happen here. We just ate some stuff at a warehouse off site. Okay. Uh, but I am not aware of anyone else in a, a McDonald's or a Wendy's or Taco Bell or a Carl's Jr. anywhere across okay. the country. Yeah. 
I do joke to people though, they ask if we're looking to expand and I say, absolutely. You know, I've got my eyes one day on a bigger, fancier building, maybe a white castle or something <laughs> really, really nice. Isn't there a Taco Bell like cat corner from you? There, there's a Taco Bell cat okay. corner and there's a, a, a literally a white castle about a block and a half up the street. <laughs> so yeah, one day maybe. Yeah. We expand. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your spirits. You, you seem to have like a pretty big, uh, you know, stable of them. Uh, what, what, but what are your, what are your, like, what are your regulars? What, what are your best sellers? And then what are the, the, maybe a couple of the um, off the beaten paths ones that, that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, it's funny that you asked that question because I started this distillery I wanted to make rum and whiskey. That's what I love. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I wanted to really wanted to put out from my distillery. Um, and one of the goals was never to become Baskin Robbins. No offense to them, but <laughs> we don't need 31 flavors of the, everything else. Despite our best efforts and our creative excitement, um, we've basically done exactly what we didn't want to do. So we've got like literally 21 different bottles of spirits on our tasting bar right now. You know, three or four of those are just cast strength versions of the regular special releases for our 10th anniversary. But um, we have a focus right now on whiskey, gin, rum, and brandy because okay. I charge and that's what I like. We don't make vodka. That's a point of differentiation for us. I had some bad experiences with it as a younger kid. I don't like it. We don't make it. Is that simple? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of a joking in jest because we have pot stills. We're not set up to make it. We didn't feel that there was a need for us to put out an expression in that market that seems to be so much driven by just adding flavorings. That's not our style at all. No, no hate to anybody that does that. But all the flavors that we get in our spirits come from an authentic input. Our apple brandy is made from 100% fresh squeezed apple juice that we get right over the river. Um, our whiskeys. Uh, we have a big focus on rye, rye whiskey. That was kind of what we first started with, our rally point and our big Jake. We do variations on that throughout the year. We put out the first five-year-old whiskey from the state of Missouri. We'll have our first 10-year-old whiskey coming out this October. Um, nice. We do some finishes on those, that kind of stuff. We, um, we do a lot of bourbon. In 2019, I was president of the Missouri Craft Distillers Guild. I was one of the four or five founding members in 2018. So I was our second president and we passed a bill into law to create Missouri bourbon whiskey, which is now a legally ratified type of spirits. Um, it's got to follow all the bourbon rules. All the corn used must be grown in Missouri. The barrels manufactured in Missouri. It's a very restrictive aspect. And obviously the whole process take place here. I know nobody out of Missouri gives a damn at all. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's our job as Missouri distillers to make it a statement of quality, you know? And that's gonna take years or decades, but we're trying to do our part, it's still 6.30, by releasing a different single barrel every month. So it's all the same recipe, same mash bill, same age, a little over five years old, same proof, but each month is a different single barrel. And obviously we're capturing and embracing those different little nuances. And we've done that, this is, we're on batch 21 right now, I think. Um, so. That's been a lot of fun for us. And we put out a cast strength version or two and we've done some heirloom corns and that kind of thing. We're working with smoke whiskeys. Um, 
we do a really great barrel aged amber rum and we put out a five-year-old cast strength version of that last year that we thought was really dynamite but i think and what i'm leading up to is really oh well we've got a couple american single malts that we've been working on and i kind of lump those into the smoked whiskey okay. style us we're very excited about that and see a big future there um i wish we had a lot more of that laid down as i do with every single thing that we make but um one thing that really has become a pet passion of mine over the last four or five years has been gin. I didn't like it. I wasn't interested in it originally, but in like 2016, I sat down at a great local gin bar with an awesome gin expert, uh, the gin girl here in St. Louis. And she spent like an hour, two hours of her time walking through my wife and I on the spectrum that gin could be. And that just opened my eyes and blew my mind and made me realize the obviousness that if you have all of nature's botanicals that are so many different colors to paint with or notes to make a song with right then corn rye barley wheat different smoked barleys maybe oats millet okay you got five to ten right you've got all the roots fruits herbs leaves seeds flowers berries you can use so there's so much room for expression and when I go visit craft distillers, which I do anytime I travel anywhere, I love trying their gin specifically because it's such a unique expression of what they're about and what they like. Mm. You know, I love bourbon. And if you give me the choice, I'm probably going to drink whiskey. Um, that's my my favorite, I guess. But I think it, gin can speak so much more to the ethos and the personality behind the distillation. And to that end, we have built what we have been told by gin experts that have visited from around the world is a world-class gin botanical library. It's got almost 400 different individual roots, fruits, herbs, leaves, seeds, peppers, you name it in there. They're all individual distillates. And again, different colors to paint with. They're building blocks for us to sit there. And we literally have syringes and use these different many milliliters of this versus that to come up with new gin recipes. On the bar right now, we've got five totally unique gins. The only similarity is they all have juniper and coriander, but they're built to be different things and fit on the old flavor wheel in different aspects for different applications. Um, my wife, I just had her make one for our 10th anniversary, our 10th 6.30 day party this year. And she built this beautiful tropical mango hibiscus, um, an orange peel like gin in there that's been super popular. But gin has a huge role in still 630 and will, you know, for the future. So um if I guess when you think about like 10 years, you know, what are the if you could go back to yourself 10 years ago and what kind of advice would you would you give yourself as a distiller and a distillery owner? I I think the first thing that I would tell myself is kind of a two parts a you're on a righteous path full steam ahead b knowing that get more investment if i feel that we've been hamstrung by a lack of capital our entire existence that limits how many barrels we can put down which limits ultimately how many you can sell when they come of age um some different pieces of equipment i would have acquired earlier had i been able to you know We've been bootstrapped and tried to do it by making a bottle, selling that, making two bottles. You know what I mean? And 
it's worked. It's been great, but I feel like we could have been a lot further along uh, with the quality of spirits that we're putting out. And we haven't been able to expand. I mean, we're barely across the state of Missouri. St. Louis is drinking up most everything we can put out. It's a phenomenal problem to have. I'm thrilled to have it. I dreamed of having that problem, yet it's still a challenge to enter into different markets. We have tourists here because we do tours every Saturday. We get tours from all over the country and the world sometimes. They want to get our spirits back home, but since we can't ship directly to consumers in most places or anywhere really, um, we can't get them those bottles and we're only really available in, in Missouri. So that's been frustrating. The other thing I would tell myself is, hey, you don't have to do it all yourself. Bring on people faster, let them help you, you know? Um, and C, I would say, we did this experimental spirits program. And this was our way to kind of crowd test recipes, but also vent a little bit of our creative juices that continue to bubble up over the top. So we committed in at the 630 day party in 2017, I announced everybody that we were gonna launch this program. We were gonna release one experimental spirit per month and we're gonna do it for five years. So they're gonna be 60 things total. Could be anything. We're looking for awesome recipes for wheat whiskey, single malt, barrel aged gins, tequila, apple brandy, smoked whiskey, spice rums, different bourbon flavors. Everything that's not vodka was intended to come out of this experimental program. It was free. We let everybody come in, you get a sample, you try it, you tell us what you think. It was our way to get feedback on stuff. We are releasing X60 um, in September of 2022. So we will be concluding this five years of a brand new experimental spirit each month. Um, that has been overwhelming in the response, the feedback we've gotten, the loyalty of customers who see that we're trying to put out stuff as best we can and take their feedback to see what they want to drink. You know, we have spun up our apple brandies, some spice rum, different whiskey recipes. We have a barrel aged gin now because it was directly built off that. We put out a smoked mushroom agave spirit that was born from the experimental program, like all kinds of different stuff. And it's just paid huge dividends in many different aspects. Um, so I wish I would have started that much sooner. You know, because we just be further on. Yeah, and and those are things that are part of like your regular rotation now. Some of the, okay. <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, some of them have become either a year-round thing or at least seasonal. We do a lot of seasonal um, and rare release type stuff. We have probably seven or eight spirits that are year-round. That's our core line. Okay. Whiskeys, um, three or four gins, um, rum, and. Apple brandy has kind of become a year-round thing, um, but it was intended to be originally a fall release every year. But we've got, you know, three to five spirits that we release yearly. And then we've got another four to six that probably come out sporadically. They may come back, they might not, you know? Um, and, and so are, as, as that project is winding down, are you thinking, oh, well, we should keep doing this in some kind of way? Yes, we are taking a self-imposed break okay. to get through OMD here, yeah. and then we're going to resume it in January. Uh, I don't know when this comes out because we haven't announced that yet. So, but okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep going. It's okay. awesome. We put out awesome cocktails with it, and they change every month. 
Um, and that's been incredible. And people come back for the cocktails and the free booze or vice versa. But it's it's been the best way to really engage with our customers that we've seen and to get that honest feedback. And, you know, one of the things is it's always great when you let your friends and family try a new spirit that you're thinking about. I don't know. I, I've never felt like I can really rely on that very much um, because they just want to make, they don't want to be mean. But when you ask for honest feedback from strangers or customers who know you, who know that you can put out good stuff and they'll tell you that, you know, this one wasn't my favorite. I didn't love this finish or the nose on this one wasn't for me, even though I liked the, the palette. And then they tell you on a different one, oh, I love this one. Now I can really take a little bit of, of belief in that feedback. I can trust your criticism when I know you're willing to tell me if it's not good or it is great. You know, if you give me both, I can believe you. If everything's great, I have to take that with a shaker of salt, you know? Yeah. So you, it's been super helpful. Uh, you brought up family there. And before we hit record, we were talking about our our little ones. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it kind of reminded me that recently I, I saw, I've seen some PR marketing angles about distilleries that are family owned. Um, and and I, I see them sometimes and I'm a little suspect of them. I look at like your distillery social media and like your family members are on there. Your kids are on there sometimes. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could just speak about what it means to be, a, what you think it means to be a family owned distillery and not something that you just say as like PR speak. I think, I think it's tougher than it sounds to differentiate, right? Because I look at my, the iteration of still 630 today, we have, two full-time employees, two part-time, and then a handful of like tasting event type people. So, I mean, that is a tiny close-knit little family here. My wife, I'm one of the full-time employees and my wife is one of the part-time employees, right? Um, but it is a tiny little hardworking little group here and my family owns this place. I hope, let's fast forward, you know, 50 years from now and we're a big, you know, distillery that's got a hundred employees and we're in different countries and stuff like that. Um, if the Weglar's family still owns it, but you know, now my kids who are nine, seven, and two right now, they're grown and they have kids of their own and it starts to develop and kind of not splinter along family lines. But I mean, at what time did Anheuser-Busch, who's right down the road, that was originally a small family owned company that grow that grew and one of their, you know, vines or, or branches of the family started owning it. Is that still a family owned company? It's still the same family. It's just generations later, right? So I think there's a little bit of murky waters there that people can claim family owned and technically not be wrong if there's one family that owns it. But like, if, if the Biden family invests in still 630 and now they're the owners, is that still a family-owned company? I I wouldn't I wouldn't think so in this sense that yeah. the family that runs it is the family that owns it. But I mean, it sure as hell is true for still six thirty that we're a small family-owned company. Um, yeah, I don't. I, so I think it's there's the technical definition and the philosophical ethos definition. You know. Yeah. I would say if you tell me you're a family-owned company, I want to know that 
that little family is the one that's running it and, and involved in the day-to-day, not just cash and checks. And it's one of their business interests. Yeah. Um, so to, to close this out, I'm wondering, uh, I, I asked you a few minutes ago to kind of talk to yourself 10 years ago, uh, but I saw on your website, there's this great video of you, like at one point giving advice to your eight-year-old self. Uh, yeah. and I'm wondering if you could just give us for the purposes of the podcast, a, a little flavor of what that advice to, to eight-year-old David Weglars is. Man, without getting into all the details of, of don't be mean to that person and don't, you know, don't do that. And all the little infractions and mis- missteps that I make <laughs> in the process of growing up, because we don't have 12 days to sit here and do that. Um, you know, it's, I honestly don't remember exactly what I said, but the, the, the gist is the same, is that I would look back to me and say that you really have to, you have to enjoy the small moments in here. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep reaching towards bigger goals. And if you achieve your goals, maybe they weren't big enough or you need to set larger ones. But if you believe in yourself and you refuse to give up, there isn't a damn thing that you can't accomplish. And one thing that I would also encourage them to do is to be quicker to carve out or or leave behind cancerous people because we all have friends that linger too long in our lives even if we grow apart or bad seeds that maybe you shouldn't be you know hanging out with but you feel bad or you feel guilty separating yourself and i think that's important you have to surround yourself with positive people that are working towards positive goals and more even more importantly people that are working on bettering themselves and i think self-improvement is something that we should all strive on and I wish I would have put a focus on that in my life earlier. And I mean, it wasn't that I never did it, but I wasn't conscious of it as a articulable goal of mine. And if I could tell my eight-year-old self that, I think I'd be in a better position today at 41. Um, yeah, seize the moment, enjoy life, make the most of it. This is your life. You're the author and the hero, buddy. And you're going to have setbacks. It's how you respond to them. Pick yourself up. Try again. Learn from your mistakes. I mean, these are, it sounds cliche to hear myself say these things because, well, yeah, duh, it's <laughs> obvious. But damn it, it's the truth. And it's, yeah. these are tried and true sayings and adages because they're meaningful, man. And yeah. they matter. Yeah. So I would I'd smack myself in the back of the head and say, listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> you know? That's our program for today. Thanks again to David Weglars of Still 630 for joining us. You can learn more about the distillery at still630.com. And you can also go to craftspiritsmag.com to read a story I wrote about the distillery in our September-October issue. We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers. Cheers.